Welcome to the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Brain Fuel is a cerebral beverage that helps you find your flow state, enhance mental focus, and cognitive endurance. Elevate the brain and the body. To get yours, visit brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com, and enter the code LIFO15 at checkout for your 15% off discount, L-I-F-O-1-5, and enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, here with Tony Wiley, uh, the President and Managing Director of Special Olympics North America. Uh, really excited to be a part of the Next Up Partners uh, series here. And Tony's going to talk a little bit about his experience in the NFL, quite a few teams, and then also his transition into Special Olympics as of late. Um, you know, Tony, I want to just start off the podcast with not everyone gets to spend their career in not only sports, but the NFL with multiple teams, eight Super Bowls, uh, a lot of different unique experiences. But the common thread across your career has been in the communications world, and we'll kind of dive into that. So nonetheless, welcome. Oh, great. Thanks. Thanks for having me. This is awesome. Absolutely. So let's talk about communications because it's evolving rapidly, right? It's continuing to evolve, whether that be on the social, the digital side, the PR side. Um, can you just run us through a little bit of how communications has evolved over the last decade, decade or two? And from a team perspective, uh, the different constituents you now have to deal with from a media perspective. Well, one thing out the, out the gate is, is the new cycle. I mean, before, when I first started, you know, we had type, yes, we had typewriters in the office. This is pre-internet. You know, it was, it, was, it was kind of like the Stone Age right now. It sounds, it looks, sounds pretty primitive. But now, you know, back then, you know, news would come out and people had to wait the next day, really, until it was in the newspaper. And it was, the newspaper was delivered on your front lawn. You open it up and put it on the breakfast table. And that's how you were able to find out what was going on. You didn't have the internet. You didn't have the 25. fact, television would go off at, at 7 p.s. Our kids don't even know what I'm talking about, but after midnight, the TV stations would go on. So the news cycle was was much longer, you know, and but now it takes minutes. Nowadays someone can send out a tweet and they see, you know, you know, seconds later it's viral. It's all over the place. So you have to be on your on your toes. It keeps you on your toes a lot, a lot faster. And you have to have to be have a plan and be ready to go and be flexible and be ready for anything at any time. Well, you talked about the news cycle, but also the amount of platforms and the amount of mediums in which news are shared now too. You you don't just have to pay attention to one or two things. Now it's, you know, what, hundreds? I mean, oh, it's really crazy. You can't even count. And then you get it on your phone, you get it on YouTube, you get it on means everywhere. No, no one really watches the television anymore. But, you know, but even when you turn on the TV, you have 24-hour news cycle. You, you have ESPN, you have Fox News, you have Fox Sports One, you have MLB network, you have NFL network, I and mean, you, you can pick and choose. It's like a buffet. You pick and choose which one you want to digest. My favorite term now is breaking news. Everything is breaking news. There is no more just news, right? <laughs> because everything's breaking breaking news so often that, you know, how do you differentiate in all of the clutter of content and all of the clutter of, of media? How do you make sure that what you're trying to communicate to your constituents, your fans, um, 
and everyone else that that is consuming, whether it be the Texans, the Titans, the Rams, the Cowboys, et cetera, how do you make sure that they can A, access what you're trying to put out there, but also B, make sure that they don't just read the first two lines and, and go to something different? Good point. Good question. Well, first of all, people got to understand, and I used to tell this to the players all the time, you're not talking to the media, you're talking through the media, you're talking through them. And I think first thing first, you have to make sure whatever is going out is factual. You don't want something repeated that's not right, because if it's repeated, things that are wrong get repeated, guess what? It becomes factual. The perception of it is real. So you have to make sure that everything is factual and it's being told, you know, the facts the way you want it to be, be told. And, you know, when you have your own platform, nowadays people have their own websites, they have their ways, they have their own social media. So you really sometimes don't really need the media to get the word out. You can do it on your own. And the amount of staff you now need uh, compared to, you know, maybe in the earlier days is a little bit different too. People's roles are different. I mean, again, even the factual component, you're just, you you, you need to fact check what you're putting out there. So is there a fact checker on staff? Yeah, you know, yeah. well there and then social media, your social media person has to be on point because you really are resource. You're internally, you're resource. You know, people in the organization and the coaches are like, hey, you have to have an answer when they ask you what's going on. So you have to have a finger, you know, your finger on the pulse and, you know, stretch your antenna and have that reach because you got to be able to hear what, what people can't hear and see what people can't see. And that's the, that's the, that's the, that's the mark of a good communication profession. As you're preparing to get into the industry, you know, you, you got your degree in journalism and, and others may do the same as well to try and learn those foundational elements of journalism, communication, PR, et cetera. Now that you've been through that, and, and you're at a different stage in your career, what's the one or two things that you would suggest or advice to give to those who are trying to get into that space on what they should be doing? Um, and it's not just a degree, right? It's not just the degree in journalism. There's many people who can do that, but what do they need to do on top of that? You have to network, Net Jack, network, network, network. Networking is one letter away from not working. And you have to reach out and, and Find people that are doing things that you want to do. And basically, especially if you're a student, just reach out to them and, and get information. How else do you know to, to go on a road to travel unless you talk to someone that's already traveled that way? But you don't stop there. You get information on your view, then you follow up. You know, basically, now I'm doing this. Yeah, now I'm doing this. And you follow up with them because guess what? Whenever there's an entry level position open, your name is going to be on the tips of their tongue because you're constantly reminded that you're out there. Who do I know out there that, that needs a break to get, get their foot in there? And if you follow up with them and keep up with them, that's how you do it. I've never, so heard, I've never heard the one letter away. That's a really interesting one. I like that. I like that. Is that, is that your go-to liner? Very, yes. For years, I've been saying that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Good, good. <laughs> I'm glad we can share it with our listeners. Um, you know, as you think about the, the different experiences you've had in the communications world, what's the biggest lesson that you've learned that you're now taking into your role at Special Olympics? Um, you gotta earn trust. This is a trust business. So I think, you know, people have to depend on what you're doing for your job if they trust you. They trust that you're gonna deliver what you're supposed to do and you play your role and, you, and you're dependable. So I think, you know, and how does that trust get earned, you know, over the years and consistency so they know that, you know, 
to be very, be very, um, you have to be very um, consistent in regards to your work ethic so that they can trust you. But I think that and also, also the whole networking thing. If I, again, I got to go back to that. The power, my buddy has a book called The Power of Who, Bobby Dean. That basically means that people that you know can actually help you get your, get your dreams, achieve your dreams. So people have to know that you're out there and that you're willing to do stuff. When you talk about who you know being so important, how does that also help you from a communications PR standpoint? Because it's one thing to come up with the best written story, but if you don't share it and you don't share it with the right people, then it's not going to reach the right people either. Yeah, yeah, you have to, I mean, again, especially being a communications professional, you have to depend on on people, you know, to get the word out. Like I said, you use the media to get your, your word out. But also, you have to, uh, you know, get feedback. You know, you want to, you want, you know, I always tell my staff, you have to work work smarter instead of working harder. So if you if you use a lot of your efforts in one thing and you know when you're reading it, no one cares about it, then you might need to change something else and get their feedback. You know, what what are you looking for? How can we help you with this? And remember, this is this is a service business because you're servicing the media, you're servicing, you know, your constituents and your stakeholders. One of the things that at least I've learned from the podcasting world and and just again talking to many many people in which you've done across your career is the art of listening right and and being able to really understand where someone's coming from um, but as you've taken this new role in special olympics you can't just necessarily walk in the door and say all right everybody i'm here right let's let's get to work you, there's probably this uh listening train that you got to go on at first to understand the organization understand what you're working with who the people are etc can you talk a little bit about that journey for you as, as you started sure. your your uh, position at Special Olympics? Well, honestly, if I think back at this, Jack, that's probably one of the positive things about COVID. COVID really caused me to slow down and stop and really listen and learn because when I first got this job, I think I went 14 states in four months. I mean, I was, I was flying all over the place. And me, but I was meeting people and I had to listen and really find out you know, the structure of the, of the movement and organization. But I was really lucky because I had excellent staff that, that understood and they basically showed me the ropes. You know, it's a lot different than pro football here, but especially a global organization. But I was able to sit back. And look, I didn't come in with like, you know, like the Kool-Aid guy and say, hey, I'm here. This is what I want to do. I, I wanted to spend probably the first 90 days just to really listen and learn. And then start putting plans in place and then execute. And just now putting the plan in place to execute because of the COVID. And as you talked about, you know, spending the first 90 days listening, as you think about the things that you want to try and accomplish at Special Olympics, as you're setting out goals and being kind of in the larger organization, how does that differ than how you would go about your year uh, as an NFL team that's, you know, constantly uh, in this season cycle? Well, you kind of know, Kalise, uh, the year, you know the, you know the NFL schedule, you know, you know uh, combines in February, you know, March, April, getting ready for the draft, then you have the, then you have mini camps, then you have training camp, and long overall, after training camp, you know, you're kicking off the season. So there, you kind of have the rhythm of what's going on for the whole year. Uh, it's kind of hard to judge because, you know, 
we didn't know that COVID was coming, but at least with Special Olympics, you know, we have we have some games that are coming up. We have different events that we have to prepare for, but people need to understand one misconception is that Special Olympics, oh, you, you have Olympics every four years. Special Olympics happens every day. Our, our athletes train all the time. Um, they do stuff you know, after school and we, you know, we stress different things all the time. So it's not like it's, you know, the Olympics are going to happen in Japan. We, our, our movement is, it happens all the time. Yeah, we had one of our, one of our very first guests on the podcast was Bill Schumart, CEO of uh, Special Olympics Southern California. And one of the oh, things that, one of the, Bill's a legend and he was, he was one of our very first guests. But one of the things that Bill talked about was he had this long endured career in college athletics, the Dodgers and so on. But going to Special Olympics for him was different. It was a different passion. It was a different purpose. Um, is that for same thing for you and, and kind of how you've seen the, the, the change in your career going from the NFL and multiple teams to now the nonprofit world? Oh, this is this is being the voice for the voiceless. I mean, you can't you can't put a price tag on feeling if the feeling you get working with the athletes and working with this movement. It's uh, it's amazing, and, and the athletes are so inspiring. So yeah, Bill's pretty pretty right. This is this is a different type of purpose because you know you're helping humanity, and this is just it's just really fulfilling. You talk about humanity. How have you tried to incorporate diversity and inclusion within to the Special Olympics programs? I know that's definitely a big uh, passion point for you. Well, I serve on I serve on a committee um, for our organization, and we're in the process of you know doing some big things. But but even even the openings, we're really really especially our my region, Summer, uh, Special Olympics North America, is very very diverse. But we're also um, about to do some things in the, in, in, in the inner cities. Uh, we have a program that's going to be doing stuff in the cities that I'm really excited about and being uh, part of. And we're going to see some, some things going to impact a lot of people. Being the, the first African-American president in over 50 years for an organization, it's, it's truly um, A, step in the right direction, but B, something that, you know, you have to constantly deal with on a day in, day out basis of, of maybe extra pressure, right? Or, or whatever the case might be. How do you go about trying to serve as a leader for not only the sports industry as a whole, but then also Special Olympics um, and, you know, the other, as you mentioned, kind of the, the countries around the world that also have Special Olympics? I just do what was taught to me by one of my mentors. And I've been very fortunate to work with some great people who not only taught me about the industry, they helped shape and mold me personally. And I was able to use all these experiences to help prepare me. For this type of role and you know i'm a type of person that makes decisions by consensus so i really incorporate my staff which is where you know you're only as good as the people around you and i'm very fortunate because i have a very very strong team they have they have many years of experience and i rely on them to really help to get through some things but so my role really is to is to remove obstacles that, that prevent them from spreading their wings and flying and and this would be the best leader that I can be. Be innovative and use my experience, incorporate my experiences to help the cause. No, absolutely, that's great. And and when you think about um, your experiences pre your career, right, and and some of the obstacles that you maybe faced along the way, what's one that resonates with you that's that's really stuck with you along your entire journey? 
the pre pre career, like when I was first starting, this first yeah, day, college, high school, uh, whatever it might be. I always had the drive. I think it was finances. I mean, that's this is why I love my school because uh, I had opportunity to go to San Diego to for an interview. This is after really working in sports information. And Jack, I sent out 400 resumes. This is before internet, man. I sent, I got all Sports Illustrated Almanacs and had all the all the addresses. So if you were an NFL team, minor league team, hockey, CBA, CFL, whatever, I sent out 400 resumes. I ended up getting one, getting a letter back from the San Diego Chargers. And that's how old I am. Three of my teams that I work with don't, don't exist anymore. Chargers are one of them, San Diego. So, but they, they uh, invited me to do the interview but the last sentence on the, on the letter kind of killed me. It said, applicants is responsible for all transportation. And uh, I couldn't afford a plane ticket, but the dean of my communication school at Texas University, I already found out, he called me in his office, reached down in the drawer and handed me a plane ticket. and said, you work too hard to get to this point this time. So I am truly a turtle sitting on top of the fence because I didn't get here by myself. I had a lot of people help me. Yeah, and, and part of that, I mean, when you think about some of the things that you've done on the side, um, you know, being an adjunct professor and helping those along the way, uh, surely giving back is is not uh, a short you, part of your DNA. You, you did your research here. You did your research here. I, I did. I try and do my research <laughs> a little bit. But, you know, when you think about, about the teaching side of things, right, at the end of the day, you're trying to do what, not necessarily financially all the time, right? But you're trying to help just as that one professor or one dean did for you for, in terms of providing opportunity. So um, in that respect, what's the one thing you've learned from being a, a teacher uh, on the side in your fun time? Not to be soft, you know, people uh, early on, I was like, people giving me the soft story. I need this class to graduate. First of all, they're not doing, I gave them the syllabus, here's what's gonna happen. And people still, for some reason, not, don't want to do the work and then come with a sob story. So early on, I kind of felt, you know, I kind of felt sorry. Well, you know, I'll give you an incomplete thing. So, you know, I wouldn't hurt you. After that, you know, you get what you get. You get what you earn. You know, I laid everything out. I had, I had people, I had opportunities for people to get extra credit and they still didn't take advantage of it. So after my first, after the first time, I was like, you know what? This is the grade you get. You know, leave me alone. <laughs> How does, how does that, how do you take that experience into the working world, right? I mean, there's no extra credit in the working world. There's no, I mean. I think you just, you have to, you know, you have to get, you have to be accountable and be responsible for it and, and know, what, you know, there's a, there's a consequence for all your actions. Yeah. So I, you were, you were right. I did do my research. Um, one thing that I think is really interesting is being a, a Hall of Fame presenter. Um, I, I think that's a, just such a unique opportunity. And, and I'll obviously let you speak on it because you're the one who, who got to do it. But what does that opportunity mean to you? And just from a, a career standpoint, um, any lessons learned there? Well, I'm going to do it. Jack, it's, it, was, it was canceled last year. So I'm actually this August is scheduled to, to do it. It's going to be August 7th, and they're, they're going to have the class in 2020 do their ceremonies on the Saturday, and then the class of 2021 will be on the Sunday. So I'll be there uh, this August, God willing, with COVID and everything, and hopefully it's going to be fine. It's the biggest honor. It's the biggest honor probably I've ever received. No, ain't, ain't no problem. It is the biggest honor because Isaac should have... Um, 
chosen a teammate or a family member or a coach, but he chose me. He could have chose anybody. And it's, it's kind of like I'm going in with him because I want to be at the gold jacket ceremony. I put the jacket on him and then I'm wearing the parade and then we're at the game and then we, I unveiled, we unveiled the, the, his bus together. So I want to be, you know, seen in front of the whole world. It's kind of like introducing Michael Jackson at the Grammys. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty exciting, but I mean, he, it shows the relationship that we have, but it also shows the trust and respect he has for me. And that is really moving. It's really touching. Uh, you mentioned trust. Yeah. You mentioned trust in the beginning of the episode and, and how that's just so crucial to what you do on a day in day out basis. You know, the comms and the PR world is certainly one department of what makes, you know, the whole industry go round. But one, what can people in other departments, whether it be partnerships, whether it be events, whether it be marketing, et cetera, what can they learn from the communications aspect of things? Um, because our world is so instantaneous now and yeah. there's always, you know, words, well, words, words, you, you know, words matter. Well, not only that, but I'll break down the whole process of communication, sending the message, receiving the message, but then interpreting the message. That's the thing. You can actually, I guess when people say, you know, you, you're hearing me, but you're not listening. So I guess it's about in, interpreting the message the way it was intended by the sender. You know, so I mean, what people can learn is just, again, uh, sniffing out, just being direct and, and, and factual and, and not, you know, BSing folks and just being straight, straightforward. And, and what happens when you, when you can do something, you say you can do it, and people can rely on you. Or if you can't do it, you let them know. But you don't play games. And you know what happens at the end, Jeff? Trust is developed. You see a theme here, huh? I, I see the theme. I see the theme. <laughs> you know, our, our, co our co-host, Andy Dolich, has talked about teamwork, leadership, and trust. So I think, I think you and him can bond over the trust one. Uh, we, we might have to set up another episode. You know, I, I think about... Uh, last question before we get into the rapid fire, which is, which is of course, you know, fun one. Um, but when you think about what the teams have achieved and the ones that you've been a part of, what's the biggest lesson you've learned from team to team, knowing that all the different organizations are different. They've all been yeah. in a different market, so on. I'll say one word, family, family. Um, can you imagine a whole organization just picking up one day and moving to a new city? the whole organization where they didn't know anybody. And I remember when we moved from Southern California to St. Louis, we all went to dinner one time. We were all sitting there experiencing the same thing, not knowing anyone. But what happened was a bond, a bond was created where everyone came together. It's like, if you need something, we're gonna help you. So it was, it was, it was the same thing applied in Tennessee. You know, I've been part of, I've been a part of three, like two relocated teams and one startup. So, the common denominator the whole time was family. You didn't want to let your coworker down. You're there to step up. I remember one time we were putting together some credentials. And we ended up having two people. By the end of the day, it was like 30 people helping us out. And that's what that's, that's that was the attitude. You know, if you need you need something, we're here to help, we're here to help, we have your back. And that's what, you know, that's why sports are ultimate, you know, that's what teams do. You, you get you get evaluated every week in football and that you're working towards. Everyone's working towards a common goal, and only one team is happy, like Tampa this year. Everyone else is, is disappointed. So it's a family. It's a family. 
how do you how do you make sure the family's happy right there's there's this roller coaster uh, ride there's this roller coaster ride of wins and losses as you just mentioned yeah. but you got to keep everyone happy you do it's it's that's tough it's hard it's a really hard job to keep people happy because everyone's going to not everyone's going to have the same perspective on things but i think um i think you do by if you have you show respect and you know you um you just let people know you care you go above and beyond and if you care then people will understand absolutely well you mentioned family we'll start off the rapid fire with that one um i know you're a little league coach we talked about this what's the best part about being on the sideline now now that you are not coaching and you're watching your son play well when i did coach even now if i'm in the grocery store and i see one of my former players and they come up and hug you and get to know the families that's pretty that's pretty cool you know seeing people CP kids develop and grow. But sitting back right now, I think um, I'm just being dad, just being dad. I'm being, you know, psychiatrist when he's in a slump or, you know, cheerleader when he does something great and, you know, and, and motivator. And when he doesn't, you gotta pick him up. So I think it's it's just it's just pretty cool seeing seeing the process of him of him learning that, you know, the hard work that you work doing in the off season translates to how you play in the season. So right now, you know, he's really getting up. He's doing during the pandemic. I bought him a um, pull-up bar, so he's able to get, get stronger. He goes in the basement, so he hits off the tee. And he's just to see the growth. Just to see the growth is, is pretty cool. Not only him, but my daughter, too. There you go. What's one sport you didn't play growing up that you wish you could have? Well, even the ones I tried to play, I didn't play. Because I, I was like the Rudy. I was the Black Rudy. I was five foot nothing. And 100 and nothing and, and zero spec of athletic talent. My son, my kid, they get their athletic talent from my wife, but I made a trash talking for me. But anyway, um, I would say, I'd say hockey. I would say hockey. I think hockey would be cool if you, if you can get one, but I got to learn how to skate. And I think, I think hockey would be pretty cool. I was going to say, growing up in Houston, I don't know how yeah. big hockey is down there, but you know. <laughs> uh, all right, you worked for the Texans, the Titans, the Rams, the Cowboys. What's one team you didn't get to work for? Oh, and I, I forgot to mention the Washington football team. What's one team you didn't work for that you would have liked to work for? Uh, probably the New York Jets. You know, Brooklyn, that was the first team I like. The, the Jets and I'll say the Raiders. The Jets and the Raiders. The, the Oakland Raiders or the Vegas Raiders? I'll say no, Oakland, definitely Oakland. Definitely Oakland. <laughs> that, was, that was my second team as a kid. Group three, I have three, the Jets, the Raiders, and, and the Oilers, of course. But I think the Jets, that was my first team that I, you know, my dad got me a Jets jacket. So I was rooting for the Jets. And I remember when I was working with the Rams, I got to go to the Jets office. And I was sitting in the Piotrowicz's office, kind of right credentials. And I'm looking around and I had a moment because I was saying, man, the eight-year-old Tony Riley would, would, would be would be going crazy right now being in the Jets' office because I, I was such a big fan. So that was pretty cool. Nice. Well, uh, as you think about, you got to work a ton of time in the NFL. Is there a different sport you think you would have liked to work in? As much as I like look working football, Quiz has kept baseball as my favorite sport. So um, that's the other that's the other spectrum, though, in terms of amount of games. I mean, that's that's a different lifestyle. That was I tell I tell kids all the time internships do two things. They tell you what you want to do. They tell you what you don't want to do. 
by answering for two seasons with the Astros in common. That was a lot of games. <laughs> I bet. I bet. All right. Last one for you. Your favorite social media platform? Instagram. Instagram. Facebook. Or, or least favorite? Facebook. You have a least favorite? My least favorite? The LinkedIn count? The LinkedIn count? I'll say, I'll say, I'll say Facebook. Okay. I'll say Facebook. Facebook's same like for the grandparents. What's what's one that you have, but you're just not you're not all the way there yet. You're not convinced that you're you're TikTok. Okay. All right. Yeah. So we gotta improve that's the TikTok. Really appreciate uh, your time, your insights, your perspectives. Thank you so much. Um, a wealth of knowledge and uh, trust. Trust and family are the two words that I take from today's episode. So appreciate it, Tony. Thank you so much. Take care. Nice meeting you. Thanks for listening to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast powered by Brain Fuel. Remember, you can get 15% off your next purchase at brainfuel.com, B-R-E-I-N, fuel.com, with the code LIFO15, L-I-F-O-1-5 at checkout. And a reminder to get your copy of LOL, Loss of Logo, What's Your Next Move? Our new book written by Andy Dolich and your host, Jake Hirschman. If you go to mascotbooks.com and enter the code LIFO, L-I-F-O, you'll receive 50% off at your checkout or available on Amazon, ebook, and print.